listening to the Guitar Heroes podcast. And we are live. Good evening, good day, good, good morning. And uh, and welcome to episode 21 of Ooh. the Guitar Heroes podcast. 21. 21. Can you believe it, guys? Last week was good, wasn't it? Enjoyed that. I enjoyed listening back to it. Me and me and Jay was listening back to it this morning. Um, and <laughs> we were crying. It was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> It was it was fun to have uh, Mr. Varnfield join us. That's one that. of the greatest <laughs> things about working with old uh, with old Varners. He's uh, he's, he's always fun. He's always a f- he's a really fun guy to be around. And uh, we love you, Al. <laughs> he won't be listening to this. He w- I know he won't be listening. So, nah, he's a prat. Oh, I think in a wi- in a weird way, it's refreshing to uh, to turn to to a drummer or to someone who's completely not a guitarist because so much of our our like lives yeah. are, you know it, it just everything revolves around guitar doesn't it so it's actually <laughs> nice i mean that bit at the end <laughs> if you haven't listened to episode 20 folks then go back and listen to episode 20 because it was the bit at the end where it just it descends into is this where God we go into al's what? corner isn't it and he starts reeling off like guitar facts and <laughs> when he was just reading through the spec <laughs> and he said it says here fret size medium jumbo <laughs> And what was that? Those the pickups as well. Never... <laughs> we yeah, talking about the yeah. pickups. Oh, so funny. <laughs> oh, so uh, right, right. So as ever, I am here today with uh, Mr. Phil Walker. And did you know, Mr. Chris Taylor? Did you know that cats are the um, only mammals oh, that, that that can't taste sweetness? Here we go. Is, is this tying into another aspect of last week's podcast, which was you and the feud with the neighbour's cat? No, we, well, we've met again, and um, the neighbour's cat met Cookie as well, and, and nothing happened. Cookie looked at it, it looked at Cookie, and they're both ginger, so they both went, yeah, whatever. So, yeah, so um, I'm, I'm, yeah I'll quit urinating on the garden as well, because it's pointless. <laughs> I'm looking I keep forgetting where I've done it, and then I tread in <laughs> it the next day. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking after my brother's cat at the moment. Uh, oh. Maybe the next six months or so. His name's Bentley. He's pretty cool. For uh, six months? Yeah, just he, he's him and his wife are moving back to Weymouth from Colchester. So, um, oh, how how would you, would you not get attached to it? How can you give it back after six months? I mean, if I'm with an animal for more than six Man, minutes, I, I can't I'm give not, it I'm not back. attached. The first night, Phil, literally, he was at our bedroom door going, Meow. it honestly sounded like, hello, hello. <laughs> All he night. was scared, didn't know where he was, poor thing. You not let him in the bedroom with you? No. Oh, he's me literally, and he's, he's getting rid of his. He's got. He's got tons of fur. He's getting shed in his winter coat. I don't want all that over my bed. Oh, you don't know what you're missing. We sleep with the dog and cat on our bed. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, can we just address? Have you got some sort of EQ on your voice, or have you got a little sniffle this week? I have got a little sniffle, my friend. I thought <sighs> yeah. so. It's been a oh. been a very busy week, and I think I've just. Um, yeah, caught caught something, and uh, I'm I'm at the tail end of it, so not too bad. I was Bentley okay. here. Oh, oh this will go down well on a podcast, won't it? He's terrified. Show, the yeah. the cat. Yeah. The first Show everybody <laughs> the cat, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> he's terrified. It's the first time we've seen one of these things. But uh, a guitar. So, Chris, uh, if you if you if you're unwell, how are you managing to to do this podcast? You, I mean, I'm surprised you're not doing it from your bed. No man, I'm awesome. That's why I'm I'm just badass. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> well, there's fine. one thing we can say, and that's that Chris is always dressed. At least, I mean, from the top half up. I'm not sure about the waist down, but Phil, you have shown up numerous weeks in your dressing gown. I you weren't ill. <laughs> there was no reason. No. <laughs> just no. just oh, a the, Tuesday. The, 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 there was a reason. I couldn't be bothered getting dressed. 
Oh, fair enough. Fair yeah. enough. Have you got your uh, Have you got your tipple with you tonight? Oh, uh, it's a bit of a sad case today, guys. That's oh, no. all I've got left oh. of my pot. I've only got half a pint left. <laughs> oh, Chris, you on the red wine? Mm-mm. Oh, what's that? Taylor's Port, my friend. Oh, the finest. I feel. Like I, I need to get involved. I've got. I've got a nice Italian red, but I. I just can't get into port. I need to. How I, just, I need to give it. Um, I love it, mm. man. It's so good. I got this at Christmas. It's the most expensive bottle I've ever bought, and I just thought it's it's so great with cheese. Crackers. What do you call an expensive bottle of port then? I don't know. Six quid. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, uh, to I be think, honest, I, I could have recycled what I've been g- trying to get rid of that cap yeah. with for six quid. <laughs> I know. I, I paid. I paid thirty quid for this bottle. Oh yeah, uh, don't pay that. Oh. No, it's. it's I, I think that might have been where I went wrong. I think the the last time I bought a bottle of port, I think I think it was from Lidl. I think. How oh, do you see you say that? Mine's Aldi, and I love it. Uh, it's um. I don't know what it is. Freshers of guys, Fle- can you hear, That's it. Can you hear the cat? <laughs> Hello. <laughs> 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 oh, Sorry, you might, you're, you're probably gonna. Anyone listening to this is probably gonna just hear in the background. Hello. They go. Do you know that the other guy? His house is haunted. <laughs> <laughs> right. Enough waffling uh, on about cats and port and stuff like that. Onto <coughs> today's subject. So we thought it was about time that we return to our desert island riffs format. Yep. It's a completely original format. We we thought it up all ourselves. And uh, <laughs> essentially, we, we focus in and we take a look at specific decades in yeah. history. We have already covered the 50s and the 60s. So if you haven't listened to those episodes, mm. scroll back and check those out. But today, gentlemen, we arrive at the decade which I've actually been... Um, yeah, I've been considering the most, I think, since we started this format. And it is the 1970s. Yeah. I tell you, mm. this has been choosing a couple of songs has been so difficult. I I think for me, this is just the pinnacle of like the best era of music. It has so much diversity and uh, so much good stuff. So um, when we when we started this, when we when we, it was way back before Christmas, wasn't it? We said let's do this this thing and uh, let's just focus in on the decades because obviously there's too much music to discuss if we just looked at everything. Yeah. So uh, yeah, the seventies was the decade for me that I just I think I might have even said on the podcast. You know when we get to the 70s, it, it is going to be impossible. Like the mm. 50s, yeah, I could pick a couple of tracks. The 60s, as soon as you get to the 70s. So, so let me, let me uh, I've got some notes, as you might have imagined. Oh, God, <laughs> it looks like it's going to be a long episode. <laughs> <laughs> I've written a short novel here. So, uh, Wait, let me just kind of let me refill my glass. <laughs> <laughs> I, want, I just want an excuse to play my own jingle again. So can someone cue my music and then I will set the scene for us in the 1970s? Well, go on, Chris, you do it because I like the sound of your voice now. It's funny. music. Was that it? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, are you ready? This is Lee's time. Let's cue the music. What will we learn today in Lessons with Lee? Right, 1970s, let's do this. A lot to get through here, a lot happening, so fingers crossed Wikipedia hasn't let me down. I'm going to start by saying, boom, in 1970, we see a cultural landmine go off, and that is the Beatles disbanding. The end of Beatlemania uh, and everything that came with it. Uh, uh, the ripples of that would have been felt right through society, uh, right around the world, and uh, 
you know, it would have heavily affected the art and music that was to come after that. It's, it says a lot to me. We're leaving behind the post-war 50s and 60s optimism and instead we're moving towards what the media at the time described as a sluggish cynicism and a distrust for the government. Those collective ideals of peace and love that we saw in the 60s are fading away and we're seeing uh, more of an individual kind of mindset, more of an entrepreneurial kind of, um, I, think, I think it was described as the me generation. I think I read that somewhere. But this distrust for government, maybe rightly so, of course, in the, in the US we see the Watergate scandal and President Nixon resigning over that and how that would have heavily affected their society. And in the UK, well, and the US, we're seeing both economic powers really, really starting to suffer. Those, those, um, those trades and uh, industries that we built so well through the 50s and 60s starting to lose out to the rise of the German powers, Japanese powers, and of course, the Chinese industry, which was really on the up. So all of that for us in the UK was, uh, was moving towards ultimately the rise of Thatcher and the Conservatives at the end of it. Uh, this is also a decade of, of continuing technology. This is the decade that brought us the floppy disk, the pocket calculator. We see both Apple and Microsoft being founded as companies. Uh, we see the first uh, mobile phone networks being used and the, the earliest mobile phones. And it's worth a mention, I wrote down the humble post-it note. So what does this mean for music? Well, we've still got the giants some of the giants of the 50s and 60s. We've still got the Elvises, the Claptons, uh, Stones, Who, all of that still being felt. And the guitar is very much here to stay at this point. People craving it. Uh, it's such a great voice um, for anyone feeling a sluggish cynicism or a distrust for the government. So it's really branching out. We're seeing the first commercial radio rock stations and all of the commercial uh, rock bands that came with that. But we're also seeing it branching out into more kind of artsy, um, styles. So obviously the prog movement, bands like Pink Floyd, but we also see the fighting back, the voice for those who were unheard, the punk movement in uh, the Sex Pistols, the Clash, the Ramones. But yeah, it's it's here to say, here to stay, as I say. Uh, that rhymes. Here to stay, as I say. Uh, but outside of kind of guitar world and guitar music, everything is just diversifying so much. You've got the whole influence of R&B and funk really, really becoming mainstream now. Um, all of that kind of bubbling away, which I guess ultimately built to give us the disco movement, love it or hate it. It was absolutely huge and influenced so much more that we that came after uh, in the 80s and, well, right up to today. But you've still got the folk movement as well. That's still happening. James Taylor uh, and everyone surrounding that really... I mean, wh what a time to to be around, really. In terms of, in terms of music, this is, uh, I think it's a, about as good as it gets, oh really. My goodness, it's so so much, so much stuff. Boogeyman, boogeyman. Oh, sorry. Well, I, I'm I've got, it's so hard. Obviously, I've got a list of about fifty songs here, but um, but I know it's going to be impossible to get through. I've got two, two main ones. I think, um, I'm going to kick off. 1970, dead on 1970. Is that just in case we do the same one, Chris? You're getting in there first. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> Here we go. Whoa, 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 yeah. whoa. 
Ladies and gentlemen, all right now from free. Paul Kossoff from guitar, of course. Um, now, this was interesting. I was looking into this and his sound. And obviously, um, I was always under the impression it was always his 59 Les Paul through a plexi, Marshall plexi. But on mm. this album and this record, in fact, he um, actually, he, this, the elements to his sound was a Selma treble and bass 50 model amp. Uh, and that was... and. I'm not sure if I'm 100% correct. No one really knows, but it's pretty much that amp with a uh, 1959 Les Paul Special is the sound of that record. Les Paul Special? Yes. Didn't know that. Yeah, it's a f- uh, so, uh, I think it's a 57 Les Paul Special, I think. Yeah, a 57 wow. Les Paul Special. Um, dead on the year, th- uh, one of the first ones in TV Yellow. Um, oh, P90s. Yeah, mm. it's awesome. Oh. And um, <laughs> but that's but my fifty birthday present guitar. That is, <laughs> oh, you get my juices flowing now, Chris. <laughs> oh, I know, <laughs> I know, I know. Uh, during nineteen sixty six, uh, Kossoff actually worked in the Selma store in London. Um, I don't know whereabouts that is actually in, in London, not too far from Tim Penali, I don't think. Um, I've got it here Probably in my notes. Give us a sec. Not there anymore. Uh, no, it's definitely not there. There we go. Uh, Selma's music shop in Charing Cross, London. His first electric guitar was a 1960 Echo, but through you know being able to work through the shop as a junior salesman, he raised the money to buy a Les Paul Special. Um, and obviously, working in the summer shop, he actually got hold of some really good amps. And I think this is why people think he used that on the record, not a Marshall, but going live. Obviously, it was a Marshall and his 59 Les Paul standard. So, ah, uh, but kicking off the 70s, I think is one of the most iconic guitar riffs of all time. I think. I played mm. that song so much. And Paul Kossoff, I know he had a very short-lived life, actually. It's quite quite sad, really. Um, but his like 24 or something? Yeah, so young, so young. Is that all? Blimey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, that, that's, the, I mean, that, free, you listen to those, you know, that those early recordings, and they are, they're so good. They're so good. But then when you when you add on to that, that they were like 18 or something when they were put. Yeah, Paul, for uh, those Paul guys, Rogers, that was yeah, like, yeah. you know, we all probably remember our first, like, teenage bands and we started going out and playing pubs and stuff they were free <laughs> like when they were yeah. 18 19 it's, in, it's insane like uh there's some uh, the isle of white festival is such a great performance to watch them it's so raw like um obviously mm. cost off is the drive that he gets i've uh, i've tried to set up something similar on here obviously i don't have a selma but live he uses a plexi which i've set up on my hx stamp this evening um i've just dimed it which is what he did 100 watts just in your face um and obviously um you know, a PAF style pickups, which is kind of similar to what I've got in this gold top here. But in fact, I even need to take the reverb off. There we go. It needs to be. But his sound, that uh, vibrato he plays, you know that. I can't quite. I can't quite know. Joe Bonamassa is really good at it. Yeah, it's, it's killer, isn't it? Yeah, so good. Mm. And just, yeah, he's just, for me, growing up, I, I remember listening to all the old records. And, um, yeah, he, he's, he was a big inspiration in, into my playing. And, uh, yeah, I thought it was a great way to I kick think off. That, I think that riff and that song has been a little bit stolen by, uh, not to bash cover bands, and, and you know, because mm. we've all been there. But I feel like, some you know, sometimes songs get so popular and, and they almost get adopted by the mainstream yeah. that, the real music fans feel a little bit like, oh, it's a little bit too. I, I can't. Yeah. 
but but you just go back and listen to it and it's just kind of try and forget that and yeah. you think nah it's it's so good yeah, I, and i tell you what it's really really um it very often misplayed i think that that opening riff mm. don't you it, don't you think i see so many people play it wrong yeah, well and i think one of the reasons it's tricky is because it's actually two guitar parts yeah yeah it's and they both tracks. do yeah. very very similar but very very subtly different things yeah and the interesting um bit of information on that song uh i might be wrong but um the song started off the drum part on the song um was um like double time like a like a right. like a train beat all right now it was supposed to be like that originally but um i don't know who the producer was who come in and said no 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 it's that's not going to work it's not going to sell um and I, and I, he got the drummer to play like a just a just a straight four to the floor i don't know what you call it as a drummer I would be good here. <laughs> <laughs> well, they kind of did that train thing on the um, solo, didn't they? they yes, went to maybe, that on the maybe solo. that's yes. why they kept it for that part. But but yeah, can you imagine it on the opening riff or just as the, s the groove of the song? I it wouldn't be the same, would it? Just I don't think it would. It, it detached it from that rock, that rock element, doesn't it? I think. But for for something that early on as well to be introducing, I mean, you've got that that chord in that, you know. <laughs> Mm. I, I just love that sound, you know, having those open strings. Yep. So you've got that layer, and then you've got... Which is where you hear mm. the little movement that, you know... But that, that is... But and of course, the, the, uh, the whole sort of syncopated feel in the chorus as well, with the... Uh yeah. And the way the bass does that. Oh, oh the bass, what's it? Um, you got that. Mm. Yeah, so good. So good. Um, Genius. Yeah. Well, there you go. That's my nice. first, first nomination. It's been nice hard, choice. but I think that was uh, definitely a good one to kick us off with. So. Very, very worthy. Nice one. Nice. Very good. Very good. Did anyone Phil. choose that one? Did anyone have that down? Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> no. I'll let Phil go first and then, uh, yeah. Well, okay, uh, so guess, my first one uh, was. <laughs> <laughs> no! Uh, the, and then my second one was. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, uh. so if basically if Carlsberg made country players, it'd be this guy. This guy was born in 1943. Um, he also plays piano and mandolin, and this song, which is most famous for, was released in 1979 and was the lead track from his album Hiding, um, which is um, a good, good album to get on vinyl, guys. And this is what I'm talking about. <laughs> Country boy, Mr. Albert Lee. Yeah, I, a lot Love of people it. don't th probably think of Albert Lee in the 70s. I mean, he did so much after that. But uh, like I say, 1979 was when Country Boy was released. Um, and thank God it was because I've been a huge fan of Albert Lee. He's, he, he is my guitar hero. Um, I've actually met him two or three times, which is, which is really cool. First time I couldn't speak to him, actually. 
<laughs> I, I went Restraining order, was it? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, after that it was. Yeah, but no, we, I, I saw him at Mr. Kipps in Pool, and um, there were about 40 people in watching him, which it was a shame, but it just felt like a private concert. It was amazing. And then at the end of the night, I bought a CD, and I went up to him to sign it, because he just... I mean, it was funny when he came in. He was a little bit late, and he literally just walked through through the the, the crowd, what there was of it, up onto the stage, he took his coat off, turned around and went, sorry, we're late, we've just been for a curry. <laughs> he was so laid back and just got on stage and <laughs> did a blasting set to 40 people. And then, yeah, at the end of the night, I stood there with my CD and, and Jay had to say, oh, would you sign this for him, please? And I stood there with my gobbled out of the floor. I couldn't believe it. And then um, another time I met him, um, was at Wimborne, and he actually signed one of my Telecasters, which was amazing. There's uh, some pictures on Instagram of that, but um, but yeah, oh, I think it, I've seen that. Yeah, he's um, he's a he was known as the telecasting king because um, I was known for playing a telecaster, a fifty-three, and one well, few others. But he um, he got a uh, I think it was in the mid eighties. Sterling Ball gave him a really weird looking thing. I've got it here tonight, but you guys can't see it apart from Lee and Chris can. But they they that's uh, the Albert Lee's signature was. Um, was was kind of born. He played that for a few years, and the back burned it. Um, and then I thought it was probably eight years later, maybe that they decided to do a signature model of it, and it sold really well. Um, obviously, um, but yeah, for people who um, not that familiar with Albert Lee, he's one of these people that you've probably heard many times on the radio and not even realised it was him. I mean, he's played on so many people's albums. I mean. Uh, the Everly Brothers, Emmy Lou Harris, Eric Clapton, Brad Paisley, Heads, Hands and Feet, Bill Wyman's Rhythm Kings. He just goes on and on. This guy has got credits on nearly everybody's <laughs> album. Um, and uh, it basically his setup is a guitar. Um, he's got, he used to have, I think he's still got it, a Korg A3 um, little effects processing unit, um, which I think he puts a little bit of compression and a tiny bit of chorus, but hardly anything. And uh, plugs into used to plug into a Music Man amp. He uses Fender now, and that's it. He hates pedals, and he's just he's Mr. Clean. You know, he's superb. And like I say, I've seen him um, about two or three times, and he. Oh, I mean, the guy's the guy's knocking on now. He's in his seventies, you know, and he's still he still would probably gig three hundred times a year if he could. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's, he yeah. does gig a lot, and he travels a lot. He lives in America, and he's always over here playing. Um, and the thing I've noticed with Albert is as you get older, you probably speed isn't quite what it used to be when you're younger. That's just age. That's your fingers. That's your joints. But what he does, he plays a lot of tasteful stuff. So rather than all the really mm. fast stuff, he's like... <laughs> You know, a lot of um, like harmony stuff and double stopping. Yeah. It's just so tasteful. Everything that he plays is uh, is great. And when that restraining order is lifted, I am going to go see him again when I can. <laughs> <laughs> but it's funny. It's, uh, he was one of the original, um, one of the original sort of like English London session guys as mm. well, wasn't he? He, mm. he, um, he in that gang with with like Beck and Jimmy yeah. Page. Yeah. You know the London scene, but quite in quite unique as well. Maybe maybe why he's not such a household name is because because he did follow the country influence which is quite unusual i think for um mm. i think remember the first time i heard albert lee i just assumed that he would be an american guy i just assumed yes I was we don't the same we're not really known for our chicken picking telly players are we no no that, that's very true although he has lived in america a long time 
Um, I think a lot of his a lot of his work was over there. Um, you know, like say Amy Lou Harris and and what have you. He was and the, the Red Hot Band and yeah, it, it was um, probably picked up a lot from America. But yeah, I mean, there's something special about this guy from England to just pick that style of music, you know and yeah, you know, and also and also be like really revered by those American country players. He's he's not like a, a copycat. He's like the guy that they look up to as well. Yeah, um, yes. which almost makes it more confusing because you're like, wait, this guy's like English, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and he and he's like country god. It's you know, what um, I find really cool amazing. about Albert Lee is that um, I think the last time I saw him a couple of years ago was at um, was it, is it the Corn Exchange in Dorchester? Is that what it's called? Is it Corn Exchange? Yeah, there is uh, there is a corn exchange. Yeah, it, yeah. it was there. It's only a small place, and um, you know it, we, we saw him there, and, and it was it was busy. Obviously, was, I don't know. It probably holds a hundred, two hundred people tops, something like that. And uh, funny, a pasta cafe on the way there, and he's sat in the cafe with his band, you know, just having a having a coffee, <laughs> and you know, as we're all going to the gig and what have you. Um, and then the next time you'll see him, he'll be playing with someone like Vince Gill. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. you go. Hey, it's just been sat in a cafe in Dorchester. You know what I mean? And I've just watched him play, and he's come up and signed a, a CD or something. And then, yeah. like you say, next time he's doing like the Crossroads Festival with Clapton or something. It's or crazy, something isn't it? massive. You know, it's a bit like uh, Robbie McIntosh. You know, the Weymouth-based guitar player. Mm. Um, mm. I think he's. I think he was brought up in Surrey. I think, but uh, but like it's funny. Like I went to see John Mayer a few years back, and he was on stage on one of the nights. And the next evening, I think he he couldn't go to he couldn't support John Mayer well play for John Mayer the following night because he had a gig uh, at the Star in Weymouth, which is like you know a really <laughs> a boxy little pub, you know. <laughs> but it, it, it's so I, these sort of musicians are so down to earth, aren't they? They just love music and you know mm. they're not beneath mm. anything. And certain musicians, Chris, certain other other certain others musicians. are uh, you know a bit above the station you know and not not a quarter of the player as people like Robbie and Albert Lee you know but yeah I mean these guys that they've been they've they've done the massive gigs I mean huge gigs with huge stars and you know you could mm. probably you could probably just like take Albert out for a coffee and it's just like going out with a friend yeah yeah he's he's got um he's got I think it was a uh, probably about 3 or 4 years now he's had um he's had a, a new band uh, they're all young guys, and uh, you know, this Albert Lee at the front of his seventies, and I'm thinking he's wore the other bands out. He's had to get a bunch of new guys. <laughs> <laughs> I can see why. I can see why. So, so demanding. Yeah. I remember turning up to rehearsal. Obviously, we're doing Country Boy, and there's a. Uh, I think there's a few spots where I, I do a little bit of soloing, but mm. and then you guys are like, "Oh, we're playing at one six five. I'm like, "What?" <laughs> 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 it's like t- like ten ten BPM faster than the uh, than the original. I'm like Jesus. Yeah. I was struggling with the original paces. It was. <laughs> well, the thing is, it's th- it's third song from the um, th- third song from the last, isn't it? In the first set, I'm thinking if you're not warmed yeah. up by then, you never will be. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> yeah, but we've still got a couple of songs to get through before we can go and have a break. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> that's the <exactly>. problem. <laughs> that's my that's my nomination. It's a so great choice. Yeah, great song. Yeah. You are listening to the Guitar Heroes podcast. Right, so uh, yeah, as I've always hint- already hinted, just didn't know where to start with this really. Uh, just too many things. Interestingly, I went through uh, the the set list um, that we've done in the guitar show. Uh, I thought that'd be a good place to start, mm. and it was something like seventy percent 
of of the the stuff in the set was from the seventies. We try, we you know, we do we do go from the fifties and bring you up to date. But you cannot deny the fact that the seventies is is really like the giant era for guitar music. So I was just yeah. going to play through a few things here that you may or may not have considered that were from the seventies. Okay, so. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> we all know yeah. what that is. What about this one? Seventies. Uh, what about this one? Uh, I had on that list as well. All right, now. Uh, what about this one? The list just goes on, on and, and on. on. Yeah. I mean, if, yeah. if I had a clean sound now, I'd be playing a bit of Sultans of Swing. Of course, another one we do in the show. Yeah. Uh, I think we've already touched upon, this was another tricky thing as well. So many songs that we've already mentioned, like in the guitar solos episode that we did, uh, are would have been my picks. So Hotel California. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, we need to mention 1978 when we heard this. I think we've already touched on that as well, but Van Halen coming out with Van Halen 1, the album, and of course, Eruption on that, which was groundbreaking in so many ways, uh, it certainly just in, in terms of where the guitar went after that. Uh, how about this one? Yeah. And what that did for that band and, and where that went from there. Yeah, man. It, oh. <laughs> but having, having said all this and having, having gone through all these tunes, there was still one that I just came back to. And again, I think we have already touched on it in the guitar solos episode. So I won't play the guitar solo, but I will play this. <laughs> <laughs> Where would we be without bow rap? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Slap bang in the middle of the decade, 1975. Queen come out with their fourth album, A Night at the Opera, and their first number one single, Bohemian Rhapsody. And I actually, I actually watched rewatched the film about a week ago. Yeah. And as if, as if you needed any more reminding of how <coughs> epic that band and that song mm. was, and. uh Everything that surrounded it wasn't it the uh, was uh, Bo Rap the B side wasn't it of um, I'm in love with my car or something is that, is that right? Uh, that they, I don't think so. I think it was issued. Uh, it was issued again in 1991 um, as a single with something else, but I think it was just. Um, I don't know. You could be right there. That didn't come up in my research, but. I'm not to say that my research is mm. that thorough. <laughs> Damn Wikipedia. <laughs> but no, it is definitely one of the um, kind of the pinnacle songs of the 70s, isn't it? I mean, it's it's testing guitar sounds as well. Brian May, obviously, with his big rack systems. And obviously, you were talking earlier about, um, Bill, about Albert Lee's not a big fan of pedals. I mean, the 70s wasn't 
you know, a big era for guitar players with pedals. I mean, the, you, you would have a couple maybe, you know, but it was more a case of racks as the era, as the decade went on, I think. And obviously Brian May was so experimental with his sounds, wasn't he? I think. I think a lot of I think a lot of the bigger guitar effect systems and the racks that we started to see in the eighties only came about because of the experimentation that had happened in the studios in the seventies. Yeah. Yeah. So you've got albums like Night of the Opera, uh, and of course, th- then from then where f- where Floyd went and David Gilmour and all his experimentation. I think because studio technology had had started to get really kind of cutting edge and. They were experimenting with layers and effects and doing things, um, you know, really quite creatively with the equipment. When it then to when it then came to take that stuff out on the road and then try and recreate that, I think that suddenly is why there was the demand for yeah, you know, the pedal manufacturers, effects manufacturers, you know, all that stuff to happen, which which did come a little bit later. Like you say, Chris, uh, Brian May was experimenting, but interestingly, on that on that song. It was uh, obviously that was one of the the few songs that was entirely from the mind of Freddie, the genius of Freddie. And if you've seen the film, you'll you'll kind of see a bit about that. Mm. But um, Bri- Brian's first solo is the only bit of that that entire song that wasn't written by Freddie. And and Brian knew he wanted to put a guitar solo into it, but he went about it quite simplistically because of the complexity of all the layers. I think there's something like 128 overdubs on the <laughs> operatic part for vocals. So I think he was like, right, hmm. Fred's got the, uh, you know, he's he's kind of taken up most of the sonic palette in this song. What can I do to make it stand out? And he just said it needs to just be a single guitar, a singing single guitar with a with a beautiful counter melody to Fred's melodies. Mm. And of course, that's what we got in that famous guitar solo. Uh, he used the Deke amp, if you've heard of the Deke amp, which was yeah. Um, yeah. something that I think he, he, John, John, John Deacon, Deacon had actually m- yeah. made, hadn't he? Yeah, Brian May still got it as well. And they, in fact, they, they did a kind of, Vox did a kind of reissue on it um, a few years ago. It was this little white, you might have sold them in the shop. Yeah, I actually little I white heard boxes. about this. Yeah, they're amazing. They're so hard to get hold of now. If you ever see one, um, I think they were about they were about ninety nine quid when they came out these things, and now they're probably about three four hundred quid if you want to buy one. But if you ever do get a chance to buy one at a good price, get one. They're great fun, really fun little things. Well, I must have sold a handful of them, but at the time, for whatever reason, mm. I didn't realize what it is. But now reading about it, I'm thinking, man, I wish mm. I picked one of those up. Yeah. But mm. really interesting. I, I found this uh, like an extract from an interview with Brian May. And this is something really interesting that uh, that I've often thought about and and sometimes applied where I can. He composed that solo in his mind or or uh, with his voice more than his guitar, because mm. there was a quote that said that uh, when he falls back to his guitar and his fingers, the fingers can fall into old habits and become a little bit um, textbook. So he said for this song, it was so grand, the perfect opportunity to just experiment with something. The the solo was was entirely composed in his mind, humming it out loud before he actually picked up the guitar <laughs> to play it, which is really Amazing. cool. And I, and I've thought about that obviously because it's all cu- if you're creating music, it's all coming from your brain at the end of the day. Yeah. But I think as guitar players, we can all fall into the trap of the same old tricks, the same old licks, and kind of being a slave to your fingers instead of where does your Abs- mind actually want to yeah. go with this? Is, this mm. is why guitar players always fall into ruts, I think, is because their mind naturally goes, oh, just do that. 
I know this. I'm comfortable with this. And and mm. especially like like you say, the song is so grand. Like it needs something that's not something you're generally going to hear on the electric guitar. Is it? It has to just be something so musical that mm. you could play it on any instrument. And in fact, you can actually you can sing it back, can't you? You can sing all of those solos back, which is you know. It may it, it obviously works because you think I mean there's I can't really think of many more melodic solos than the Bohemian Rhapsody solo. So you can just imagine Brian kind of singing it. It's the kind of thing that you would you would create in that way. It's very mm. vocal, very melodic. So maybe that's something that's a little nugget that we should um anyone who's trying to write anything like that could could take away and say, Well, if you can sing it and if it's something like an earworm before you even pick up your yeah. guitar then you're on to a winner because he must have actually had to sit down and go, right, I've got this idea. Now I need to figure it out on the guitar. Yeah. Which is quite, yeah, I don't think most of us approach it that way. I think most of us go, oh, listen to this riff or this lick I've mm. just come up with. Yeah, you know? exactly. <laughs> Another interesting point about that, um, about that album and that song in general, which I don't think they focused on particularly um, closely in the film, was that Queen were basically bankrupt at the point that they made that album. They'd done... They'd done three albums before, but they'd signed a really, really bad production deal in the early days, which essentially meant that they were working for a production company that was then going to farm their music out to record labels. So the production company was making the money. And Queen, I have it here, Queen were actually being paid £60 a week at that <laughs> point, even though they'd had hit records. And there's instances in interviews where they'd said that they told uh, Roger not to hit the drums so hard because if he broke his uh, sticks, they didn't want to have to pay for him anymore. Uh, at the time, John Deacon was trying to buy a house, and he was turned down for a deposit on his mortgage. It, it was literally like they, they, they did a good job of getting across the make-or-break part in the film, <coughs> you know, where famously they had the, the argument with the, uh, the record label guy who mm. said, you know, five years from now, no one would have ever heard of Queen. We'd never put out this six minute long operatic nonsense and obviously they proved him wrong but adding on top of that the fact that they were basically penniless as well mm. in in you know relative terms to where you'd think they'd be at that point mm. so there you go where would we be without I queen and bow rap well, yeah, talking definitely. about mel melodic guitar um i have a nomination for the 70s um i don't think we've actually mentioned him yet but uh let me play it for you Yeah, just it's awesome, but I don't have the uh, I can't get the sustain that he has. Uh, my guitar dies too soon. But yeah, Carlos Santana with the song Europa. Um, yeah, literally one of my favorite songs, if not my my favorite song of all time. I I remember coming home from school and sticking on the stereo headphones and just lying on my bed just listening to that on vinyl and just. Yeah, just kind of just, just melt into it. It's so good. Um, but the the version I always listened to was from the '77 album Moonflower. Mm. Um, and that's a, like a, a double album. It's like got studio tracks and live tracks, and they're just all inter interspersed into each other. Um, but that's uh, a good example of how music in the '70s was so varied because that that album just shows a lot of um, you know experimental like jazz fusion and a fusion of Latin and rock guitar and 
it's and it's such a unique sound in in its own right isn't it i think almost its own genre santana i suppose could be classed as its own genre in some way definitely um, definitely but but his sound as well is really interesting he used the yamaha sg2000 on that mm. record um with vintage PAFs going into a Masabuki Mark One, <coughs> yes, that's his. That's that's his sound. And uh, what I find quite interesting is live. Uh, apparently, during sound checks, he used to figure out where he would need to stand to get the feedback <laughs> from mm. his amp, and then he would mark the stage with his tape so he knew where to stand. I think no one really does that nowadays, do they? I don't think. Yeah, I I, I do that. <laughs> 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 I have to do that because we, for years we 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 didn't have any backline on stage, so I had to try find with the PA where the feedback note would be on Parisian walkways. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I used to have to do that all the time. And then I'd forget. <laughs> when By the time yeah. it came to the song in the second set, I'm going, oh, where am I supposed to stand again? <laughs> Why is Phil holding this one note and wandering around the stage? <laughs> Aimlessly, <laughs> yeah, yeah. With a puzzle. Don't go look. too near the edge. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, it's, a good n- it's a good one. Did you know that uh, Carlos put the boogie in Mesa Boogie? Did you know that? Did he? I yeah, no he, idea. It was no um, idea. it was when uh, who is it? Uh, Randall Smith was developing his amps. Carlos was one of the first players to kind of road test a, a, a Mesa prototype, and he said, "Wow, that thing really boogies." Ah. And that's where the I think that's where the boogie came from. Ah, interesting, amazing, yeah, amazing. yeah. But you're right, Chris. The diversification, the the broad spectrum of genres that were all really popular. That's the thing. We're not talking like niche. If you ever hear those radio shows where it's like, and today in 1974, I, I heard one of those and it was just depressing to hear the rundown of like the top 20 because yeah. you've got like James Taylor and that whole folk scene happening. You've got the uh, Grateful Dead, you've got Santana, you've got Queen, Eric Clapton. Well, OK, like here's one, Lee. Here's it's one you haven't mentioned yet. OK, 1977. Okay. Ready for it? You're rating. Go on, go on. Oh man! <laughs> the mighty quo. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, how could we forget the mighty quo? Do you know what? Oh. I thought one of you guys might have done that actually, but um, oh god, I was, I've I've seen quo loads of times. I, the race. I thought Phil was gonna. I, I knew Phil was gonna bring Quo up. That's why I didn't touch them. I knew that was gonna be <laughs> Phil's bag. So thanks, you did it. <laughs> I'm so proud. Now I need to go. Yeah, 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 yeah. What key you in? Thank you, Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, oh, oh, Matt, Quo are one of my favourite live bands. They're just amazing, and uh, they've had a, they've had a bit of misfortune. You know, Rick Parfit um, uh, died. Uh, I think it was on a Christmas Eve, wasn't it, a few years mm. ago? And oh man, I was gutted. I was actually on my way to a gig on Christmas Eve, and I put the radio on and found out Rick Parfit had died. And I was oh man, I was I was like no, no. I mean that guy, 
you know, that guy could give Joe Walsh a run for his money when it comes to rock and roll. <laughs> really, yeah. you know, he had yeah. he had like a quadruple heart bypass, and then two days later, he's sat in his hospital bed having a fag and a glass of red wine. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like how rock and roll. I does think that I think they're another band that fought, like what I was saying with um, All Right Now. Mm. They became some of their songs have become so popular and so mm. well adopted by yeah. the mainstream listener that a yeah. lot of um, maybe guitar players and like real serious music fans would kind of overlook that stuff. And although Quo maybe don't have the uh, the technical intricacies of Free, mm. man, the songwriting that's not a hard thing. That's not an easy thing to do. How how no. often does a Quo song come on the radio and you just cannot like? smile at you your he- when you were playing that then phil i'm yeah. smiling my head's bobbing i know what's coming and just mm. to witness that in amongst a, a huge crowd that that is an art well actually itself, they did have it? a few tricky things i mean that you know the whatever you want um intro you know that's that's just not a straightforward thing you know um the intro a mystery song that that's a nice little intro mm. as well you know they, they they did have some quite tasty you know tasty little bits and pieces in there so down song. down How that down down's another oh, yeah. great intro, great guitar yeah. intro is that, and and there's something that um, it's not a Phil's rant because it's not the it's not the episode to do a rant, <laughs> but the thing that kind of um, chews my toffee a little bit is that when you get <laughs> <laughs> what did you say last week? You said something. Sorry, you said something brilliant last week. It was like blows my candle out. Oh, that's <laughs> it. <laughs> something like that. This is great. <laughs> we should be writing these down. Well, yeah, the thing that annoys me, right, is is that the slate in Francis Rossi for going out and doing it without Rick Parfit, they're saying, oh, it's not Quo. You know, they've got a young guy, uh, Richie Malone, um, who actually was in Quo. He was approved by Rick Parfit because Rick Parfit was ill and he stood in for some dates and now he's just carried on. But, you know, I think if they've got an audience... Um, if if they're enjoying it, if they're still turning out good music, which it still sounds really good to me, then you know why not do it? Leave them alone, let them get on with it. If you're not into it, don't go watch them. Simple. No, exactly. No, exactly. I think I think surely that's what what Rick would want. I think so. It's more of a it, it can be a celebration of him and of a celebration it, of the absolutely. band, like you say. If if you've got the people say that about, I mean, people give Queen because really it's just obviously Brian and Roger that mm. are going mm. out and they get stick for it. But I think well. What would Freddie want, and yeah. and what do the fans want? If exactly. the fans are there waiting to to have a good time and pay the money to see the band, like what's the problem? Well, I, lo- I, I, I really think Freddie Mercury would definitely approve of Adam Lambert. <laughs> oh, absolutely! Oh, yeah. <laughs> Not just as a vocalist, that's a fine young man. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to be honest, I could be turned. He's a good-looking fella, is Adam Lambert. <laughs> But man, I tell you, out of the seventies, there have been so so many good stuff, and no, no one's mentioned yet David Bowie either. The um, ah, oh. Mick Ronson. I don't even know it. I, d- <laughs> I don't even. So know we're know used it. to that on this podcast, Chris. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I used to play this years ago. Yeah, some some great tracks. I'm I'm trying to th- I'm, stuff's coming to mind now. I, I don't know if this is seventies, but uh, feel like making love. Well, bad company. Ha- yeah, yeah th- I think that is, and like and and Boston, and uh, wasn't the whole like glam rock thing? Haven't we got a bit of? Isn't all that kicking T-Rex, off in the 70s? Yeah, man. Oh, Jesus. Uh, what about... Um, bit of doobie. 
It's oh oh hang on what about Yeah <laughs> it's like the list is endless but like you can even go into like again like different styles but um like Michael Jackson with the uh, uh. Oh, no, B- Billy Jean, that's the 80s, right? That is. Oh, he's skipping Ooh. forward. He's skipping Damn forward. Damn it, there. getting ahead of ourselves there. <laughs> well, well, look to to kind of to kind of conclude this and to wrap up. I thought I'd just throw these little nuggets out there as well because th- I found this really weird. Uh, I was looking at like best-selling albums and best-selling singles, and it was surprisingly hard to narrow down. Um, I mean, different websites were giving me different information, so. It was it was difficult, but I think this looks to be accurate. Certainly for the UK, at least, the best-selling single of the seventies was "Mull of Kintyre" <laughs> by Wings. Eh? Right, and th- and the best-selling album, maybe slightly less obscure, but the best-selling album is uh, "Bridge Over Troubled Water." Simon and Garfunkel. That doesn't surprise mm. me, actually. No, that doesn't surprise me. I've actually got some, but uh, I didn't expect to see that. In amongst all no. the great stuff we've discussed, and and the huge, uh, I don't know, maybe it's just because I'm a guitar player and I'm biased, but yeah, you know, mm. I did actually look for some. Um, I was thinking on these desert island riffs, I was going to try and pick out some musical trivia stuff that's actually happened on this day in the seventies. Oh, okay. oh, yeah, I've got so one. I've got one. Can I, can I just say it quickly, Chris? Because I'll forget. I will. Of course, it's going to be what I've got written down here. Of course, it is. <laughs> It might not be. It might not be. Is it? Is it about the thirtieth of March? Uh, no. It's everything I mentioned is stuff that's actually happened. Yeah, on the thirtieth of March, but on various years in the seventies. So oh right. Okay. It, no, we're going. We're no, It's Eric Clapton's birthday today. Oh, oh it is. Eric it, Clapton, yes. and I believe he's seventy-six. Is he now? Yeah. Eric Clapton's birthday. So big, 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 big happy birthday to Mr. EC. Um, the world wouldn't be the same place without him. It's going to sound horrendous. <laughs> but on this day in 1974, John Denver went. John Denver went to number one in the U.S. singles chart with the song "Sunshine of My Shoulders." It's the singer's first Sunshine of four U.S. number ones. Um, in 76, the Sex Pistols played their first show at the 100 Club oh, in London. How can we forget? <laughs> I know. <laughs> we mean it, man. We've lost him. Lee, come back I to know. us. Come back. Come back. <laughs> we love our queen. I mean, the Clash. I know. Ramones. Uh, <gasps> yeah. The, speaking of the Clash, in '78, on this day in 1978, Paul uh, Paul Simon Paul Simonon and Nicky Heaton from the Clash were arrested in Camden Town. Uh, after shooting down racing pigeons with air guns from the roof of Chalk Farm <laughs> Studios. Four police cars and a helicopter were required to make the arrest. Their fines totaled uh, 800, 800 quid. There we go. Wow. Bit of useless trivia for you. <laughs> Do you know what? <laughs> Having done all of this and all of this conversation and research and everything, it, it makes me sad. I'm going to be honest. It makes me sad and it makes me jealous of those people that were around in the 70s to, to lap up all this music and those musicians that were around in the 70s to enjoy it. And, and yeah. you know, I just... I did enjoy it. It was brilliant. 
Was that the 1870s? <laughs> oh, sorry, on about the 1970s. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. But th- th- there's this uh, man. There's so many. There's one guy I haven't mentioned. He's my all-time favorite guitar player. I didn't want to mention him because I don't want Frampton. Yeah, I didn't want to over mention him. But again, for me, the biggest, one of the biggest selling albums of the 70s is Frampton Comes Alive. In terms of rock, no, still haven't listened to that. Need to listen to that. Oh, we all know that we c- we could we could fill. We can just we go on. Like do we the seventies part you know two, what? the seventies part three. Let, yeah. Let's do a part two. Let's do a part two, man. I've literally got so much here, so much. I tell you oh, what else came we'll from the seventies, Chris. This was just for you, Chris. What came from the seventies? My Strat that you've fallen in love with. That came yeah, from the seventies, didn't it, Chris? It did. <sighs> a fine piece of machinery that is. <laughs> oh, Chris is now going to disagree because it's re- it's known that. I was going to say as well, just quickly, so I know you want to wrap up, Lee, but um, the Gibson Les Paul made a big big comeback in the 70s, didn't it? Thanks to uh, the guys from Thin Lizzy, the Th- Les Paul Deluxe, and that made a big comeback. And um, Fender sort of went down a little bit in production. I know most of the, the kind of forgot the shape of the Telecaster in the 70s. Um, mm. Do you know, I like actually tried to look into the most played guitar in the 70s, and I keep... Th- when I look at the seventies, just off the cuff, I just I look I I just see the uh, the Les Paul. Mm. I, I I'm with you there. I, I, think I can't I th- other than status mm. quo with the tellies, I can't see a Strat in the seventies anywhere. My Richie, Richie, Richie Blackmore. Blackmore, Richie Blackmore. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, J- Jimi Hendrix as well. He he sort of spilled just out into the seventies, wasn't it? God, I've forgotten Jimmy's death. Uh, Was it 72, Jimmy's death? I might have to look that up and edit it in. That's sacrilege, really, isn't it? But you're, you are that. right, Chris. I, I think I think Les Paul, I think it is. it was the era of the Les Paul and the Marshall. Yeah. Wasn't it? it was. if, um, if the 50s gave us the Telecaster, the 60s, you know, we had all the Strat bands, then, um, yeah, the 70s is, is your Les Paul and your Marshall. It is. The eight, 18th of September, 1970, Jimi Hendrix died. I was going to say, I'm sure yeah, it was 70. Yeah. yeah. So they, I mean, look, look at that. We, we're, we're kicking off this decade with the Beatles breaking up, Jimi Hendrix dying. Now, those two events should have predicted that the next 10 years, well, certainly the next few years, would have maybe been a little bit somber on the music scene. Mm. But, man, we... As a society, I think we we bounced back from those two tragedies. And I was born in well. the 70s, so that was a good vintage as well. Mm. well I said we've stopped talking about the 1870s. <laughs> oh, sorry, I thought you meant yeah. <laughs> God, we got a lot of mileage out of that joke, haven't we? <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, uh, let's wrap it up. And uh, as ever, thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting. And maybe we'll... We will revisit this subject in future because there's there's too much to get through. So if you want to find us on social media in the meantime, you can head over to Instagram where you can search Phil Walker Guitar, Chris Anthony Guitar and Lee Troy Guitar. On Facebook, it's Phil Walker Guitarist, Chris Anthony Guitar and Lee Williams Guitarist. You can search for the Story Guitar Heroes on Instagram and Facebook or head to the website www.storyguitarheroes.com. And don't forget, there's always a YouTube channel. Search Phil Walker Guitarist where you may see Phil out on his lawn, attacking the neighbour's <laughs> cat. He may be in a bikini. He might just be sat there drinking port. He might so be urinating. Who knows? You, <laughs> might have to, you might have to scroll down a bit, but you might, you'll be able to <laughs> see uh, a picture of Albert Lee signing my guitar. Oh, okay. So you, I think you go. you've got to scroll down a fair way, but it's on there somewhere. <laughs> Maybe you could just repost it. 
I could do that, couldn't I? Yeah, yeah, that's I could do a bit that. technical, Chris. That's getting a bit technical. I'll just put it on again. Is that the same thing? I don't know. This technology. They didn't have this in the seventies. <laughs> no. <laughs> right, I'm going for my dinner. Been a pleasure, chaps. Yep. And uh, thank you to the listeners. We'll see you next time. Goodbye. See you soon. Bye. Oh, really need a wee. Oh.